Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. To millions of readers around the world, Dr. Wayne Dyer was the beloved father of motivation, but to his daughters, Serena, Sage and their six siblings, he was simply dad. And when he died suddenly in 2015, the sisters were blindsided by grief and unprepared to navigate life's challenges. This experience launched them on an adventure from loss to understanding as they came to realize and metabolize their dad's teachings with a new urgency, intimacy, and power as they applied it to their lives. We didn't discover the knowing, say the authors, we simply returned to it. I am so happy today to welcome Serena Dyer to our program. Hi, Serena. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? It's so I'm nice to be here. That was a really wonderful introduction. I wish you could just follow me around and say that everywhere I go. <laughs> I'm available for that. Absolutely. You know, I was a big fan of your dad um, simply because I felt like he was one of the original hippies, Serena. I loved how calm, generous, and wise he seemed. And I looked up to him as a person when I first started my spiritual experience as a young, young woman, as a, a person in seventh and eighth grade, I looked up wow. to your dad. Wow, that's amazing. I'm sure you probably hear that from a lot of people who have found the knowing that they had experiences with your father, that he somehow through all of the different ways that we find one another became a spiritual teacher to them, even though he probably never met them in real life. Actually, I do hear that a lot. I don't usually hear people found him as young as seventh or eighth grade. I do hear all the time, my brothers and sisters and my mom, we always hear people that are either sending us messages on social media or just people that we meet in general that find out that he's our dad or our husband, and they say that he changed their life or he introduced them to mindfulness or meditation or all of these different sort of self-help type categories. And I can tell you that, especially since he passed, it's actually one of the nicest experiences that, that I have is when people tell me that he changed their life or he touched their life or he helped them through a hard time or anything like that. When you love someone and then you lose them, I think that when you hear from other people that they love them too, it's just such a uh, deeply touching thing uh, when I get those messages or hear that. So thank you. I do love it. I also was hesitant to read the book because I really feared that it could be just Serena and Sage going in and just taking your dad's teachings and plopping him down with <laughs> a new name, but you were conscientious not to do that. So how did you make sure to bring your own authenticity and your own wisdom to this book? Well, we really just told the truth about ourselves and our experiences. And we felt as though, or at least I can say, I, I speak for myself. I felt as though if I'm going to put my name on something and I'm going to try and get it out into the world and I'm going to do it with the intention of also touching people's lives or helping somebody else, I have to do it in the most authentic way possible. And that means telling my truth, telling my story, sharing my experiences. Of course, there's so much of my dad that does come through that, and my mom as well, because they raised us. So just like you would say things like your mom or dad said them or whoever raised you, you know, it's like, of course, I'm going to have things that sound like him and I'm going to have references to him. And look, I would be lying if I said I wasn't aware that being his daughter has gotten my foot in the door yeah. um, in a lot of ways, but I have my own story to tell now. And I think of that as a really nice 
way of honoring him, mm. of continuing what he laid the groundwork for, and not just for me, but for millions of people. And I'm really excited that you found that we were our own voices because Absolutely. that was such a concern when we were in the process of, of having the book published. We did not want it to seem as though we were just putting our names on our dad's work. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. Thank you for saying that. So there is this phenomenon, as you know, that when you're a spiritual person or a person who does a lot of self-development work, your kids are like, oh, no thanks. You know, um, they don't want to be you, right? Was there ever a time growing up where you were thinking like, I do not want to wear Birkenstocks. I do not want to eat granola. <laughs> I do not want to wear robes and meditate. Were you at all in any part of your self-development resistant to this lifestyle? I still am. I was, and I still am. I had a moment the other day where I was taping up a box and addressing it to send to somebody and I was signing our book. And I thought, oh my God, here I am doing what I saw my dad do for so many years. And I thought I would never be doing this. Although if I'm really telling the truth, I did always have a knowing I would. And he used to say that all the time. But yes, there was always a part of me that was resistant to anything he and my mom promoted, probably because we had to hear it before anybody else did. We had to experience it. And like, I was trained in transcendental meditation when I was five. <laughs> no, honestly, I was. And I can say that for the first time in my life that I actually chose to meditate, I was probably in my mid to late twenties. Uh-huh. You know, I thought I was going to be like a CIA agent or something. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. right. crazy, but, but I did major in religion in college. So it's kind of like the desire to learn more and to be part of spiritual practices. It was always there. It was innate, but I definitely resisted. I mean, my parents were both gluten-free and they do not have celiacs, but I say all the time I'm extra gluten. That's hilarious. One of the things that I really appreciated that you did was that you revealed that after your dad died soon after, um, your husband went through an awful five-year period in which you guys were embroiled in this terrible court hearings and allegations of wrongdoing. And I was thinking back, Serena, to my own experiences where it feels like one trauma hits and then a second trauma hits and you find yourself asking, do I have enough resilience to get through this? What did you draw on to be able to make it through these terribly traumatic things one right after the other? Honestly, for a while, I just drowned. I did not draw on anything. I felt extremely stuck. Trauma, I think is, is the right word. I felt traumatized. I felt as though because I was raised in a spiritual household where we were taught that life is not happening to us, life is responding to us, and you don't get in life what you want, you get what you are. Mm. I felt a double compounding, if you will, sense of responsibility, guilt, and shame. And I did not know how to get out of that for, for quite a while. I would say that what allowed me to keep going was, I know this is going to sound like I'm just plugging my own book, but it really was this sense that I have my own knowing. It was this feeling that there is something bigger than me that is moving the pieces. And if I can just keep my head, even just slightly above water, I know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I know that no storm lasts forever. And I know that there is part of me that really knew that on some 
soul level, I signed up for these experiences. Wow. And if I believe, and I do, that we come here as spiritual beings, we come here and we have the opportunity for our soul to grow and to expand. Mm -hmm. Like my dad used to say, this is the classroom. And we are, as Ramdas used to say as well, we're just walking each other home. So this is school. And when we die, we go home and we all go there. We all go to the same home. So there was a part of me that had this knowing that I was in an advanced cram session type course on overcoming, on learning, I don't know, big lessons. And Mm -hmm. I said to myself, because I always have these mantras, if you will, that will repeat in my mind. And it's not like I intentionally say them. It's more like my mind just says them to me. I said to myself over and over again, one of the things was beautiful girl. (laughs) It makes me want to cry. Beautiful girl. You can do hard things. Mm. And that was like a quote that I saw in like a Kellogg's box or something. (laughs) Literally, it was like a a quote for like Mm. girl, international girl month or something. But I said it to myself. It was almost like my dad was saying it to me because I wouldn't Mm. call myself beautiful girl. But I just kept thinking, I can do hard things. And this is a hard thing. I can do it. Mm. And the other thing I said was in my mind all the time to myself was big dharma means big lessons. Mm. If you want to teach, you have to experience first. Wow. I think that there was just a part of me that knew that, Mm. that drew strength from those two things or from that place. It's beautiful, Serena. As a person who's kind of been where you've been in many different respects, I think that that willingness to feel the feelings of despair, to feel, as you say, you know, sunk, to feel it and still have hope that we are going to see a different future, to still have hope in our bigger dharma, I vibe with you on that so much because I think that that's the one thing, even if someone is listening and they're in that space right now, is to say a lot of times when you're in the middle of it, it's not like you can envision yourself in the clear and everything's beautiful and happy again, but there has to be some faith that we are going to get there. And I think you articulated that so beautifully, just absolutely beautifully. Oh, thank you. I don't, I don't even know what I just said, but I'm well, glad that it I, resonated with Well, you. When, when I pull it out in a clip, you'll be like, wow, she's really good. Beautiful girl is really good. I want to talk thank about you. some of the spiritual lessons that you guys revisit. And this is Parenting in Pure Love is one that I just thought was totally joyful. I mm-hmm. love the descriptions in your book about how like you would say, what should I do to your mom and dad? And they will be like, what do you think you should do? And what is your <laughs> and, oh and my you God. talk about how maddening that was as a child, but how wonderful it is to raise your own children in that kind of openness, right? Right. And I have three children now. And my dad used to say all the time when I was a kid, I hope one day you have your own little Serena. Because I was a, I was such a challenging type of challenging, meaning I was always challenging him, like calling him out for his mistakes and that kind of thing. And he used to say he would hope I would have one of me. And I do. Um, My oldest daughter is exactly that. And I hear myself repeating my parents to her and to to my three children and the eye rolls and the mom, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be part of your, 
uh, what did she say? My silly stuff, my silly talk, because they're only, my oldest is six, so they're, they're pretty little, but yes, the beautiful part of having children now is that I do have such an appreciation for the way that my parents just allowed us to be. And we, we say all the time, Sage and I say all the time that all of us kids, all of us dire kids, we probably want or wanted to be around our parents more than they wanted us around. Mm. And I think the reason for that is that when people allow you to just be who you are without any expectation mm. that you perform to their liking or you satisfy some desire that they have, but when people just unconditionally enjoy you and love you, you are drawn to that. We are all drawn to that. That is how my parents made me feel my entire life. Yeah. There was never a sense of wear these clothes, follow these beliefs, mm -hmm. marry these people, think like me, act like me, do like me, nothing like that. Mm. And the result was that all of us felt so free yeah. and felt really so seen. And there's nothing as a mom now, there's nothing that I could want more for my own children than for them to feel seen mm. in their most authentic selves, in their most authentic ways by me and to feel safe in that. If there's anything I could pass on to them, it would be that which I received from my parents. Yeah, it's beautiful. The chapter on um, your soul and remembering your father and your somewhat reluctance of thinking that maybe I don't have a gift to be able to hear and talk and commune with my father in the afterlife. And then having that experience of being in the room where you were absolutely 100% certain that it was him who was talking through a medium. I was, I had chills on my arms <laughs> because I think that that's gotta be one of the greatest gifts of all. So for people who are not as lucky to have had these same types of experiences with others who have passed on, what kind of advice can you give them? Uh, before my dad passed away, about nine months before he passed away, he sent each of us, each of his children, each of us kids, I always say us kids, but yeah. we're all in our thirties and forties now. Yeah. So he sent each of us a DVD of himself, the recording that he did with Esther Hicks. Mm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Esther Hicks, but she channels a yeah. collection of spirits. I know this yeah. sounds really crazy, but she channels Abraham. And basically before um, or during the recording, he, he had just this incredible conversation with Abraham through Esther Hicks. And before he passed away, he sent each of us this DVD. And he said that if we wanted any Christmas presents from him or wanted any Christmas money, um, that we had to watch the DVD and write a letter back, letting him know what our favorite part was. Mm. So he passed away in August of 2015. So this was like December before. And uh, I watched the DVD because I obviously wanted Christmas presents. And I wrote him a letter saying that the most significant part of that recording that he did for me was when Esther Hicks described how she lost her husband, Jerry. And Esther, as I said, is a medium. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything she has a gift at, it's being able to communicate with spirit from the other side. Mm -hmm. But when her husband died, she could not find him. She could not hear him. She could not feel him. And she was distraught and devastated, especially since this was her gift. Eventually she had this series of things that happened and she had this realization that while she was in the state of grief, 
of suffering, of pain, of fear, of loss, her energy, her frequency, her vibration was so low that where Jerry was, which was a place of joy and pure love, it was so high that he could not reach her and she could not find him because they were just not vibing. Their energy was just not in alignment. So what I would say to somebody who hasn't had the experience of getting to go to a medium or a psychic or something like that, if you would like to receive communications or signs or messages from your loved ones on the other side or from my dad on the other side, you must become like what you are seeking. Mm. Did you say it that clearly in the book? I don't remember. I think I would have underlined that. (laughs) I I probably didn't. Sometimes I speak better than I write. Sometimes I write better than I speak. But in other words, in essence, you have to become, you have to come from a place of joy and from a place of love in order to find someone who is only in that space as well. And for me, I could feel, I can feel my dad and my son who passed away. I can feel them so much Mm. when I think of them from love and from joy. And when I am in the opposite of that, which is fear, I don't, I don't feel any of the, the miraculous communications and messages and signs, not anywhere near as much as I do when I come from love. So if you are missing somebody who passed, I know that it's painful and it's tough and it's hard and the grief is okay. But just for a moment, think of a time when you felt their love Mm. and come from that space. And, and I guarantee you will find them and you will feel them. That's beautiful, Serena. I um I want to talk about forgiveness because um, I think I've probably shared with the audience on a couple of different times, but I'll share it with you that my late husband um, was diagnosed very late in his life, um, 43, with a mental illness, and he just could not accept the reality that his brain had become so faulty and unreliable, and he died by suicide. And I went through, you know, Elizabeth Lesser's like five stages of grief. And I kept going back and repeating stages. I'm, you know, angry, I'm bargaining, I'm doing all this thing. And honestly, Serena, it wasn't until I added this stage of forgiveness that I was able to actually move on with my life. And I love how you call it the geometry of forgiveness. Why did you choose that pairing of mathematical with something that is so emotional? the understanding that this is a mathematical equation, it really started for us, that exploration of that topic really started for us when we uncovered that the day our dad's life changed, the day that he shifted his entire experience, when he went from somebody who was like overweight, unhealthy, unhappy, and a job that he despised in a relationship that wasn't serving him, full of hate and anger and rage and blame, the day he shifted from that and turned into who the audience that knows him came to know and came to love was the day he forgave his own father. And that happened to be August 30th. Mm. I think it was 1974. Up until the day that he did that, he had only carried around with him. And this is according to his own words. He had carried around with him resentment and anger. And there's a very famous line that says, holding on to resentment is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. And that poison that is resentment was eating him alive. Mm. And and also it was keeping him from fulfilling his dharma. So I can understand why you overcame your own inner turmoil 
when you added that portion of forgiveness. Yeah. Because for us, it was so obvious that forgiveness, it's just the solution. Mm -hmm. And it's the calculation. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish I could say that I came up with the actual term geometry, but I'm, I was, I think I failed pre-algebra. Sage is the math genius. So I'm sure that was her doing, yeah. but it was the understanding that there's synchronicity and meaning in everything if you look for it. And mm -hmm. she actually is the one who discovered that the day our dad passed away, which was August 30th, also happened to be the exact same day as the day he forgave his father. He said that the most important day of his entire life was the day he forgave his father and his entire relationship with God, with himself, and with life in general, it mm -hmm. changed on that day. And for us on August 30th, our entire relationship with our father and ourselves and God changed as well. Just, I don't know, 50 years later, whatever right. it was later. And also in mathematics, there's this term that is coincide or when two angles fit together perfectly, mm -hmm. they're said to coincide. So we have taken the word coincidence, mm -hmm. you know, when we look at that word, it actually means when two things fit together perfectly right? Yeah. and we've taken it and reinterpreted it to mean when two things happen, like by chance or by accident. So for us, there was no coincidence that his life changed on August 30th and ours did as well. Mm. And there was no coincidence that we also had a choice to make on that day, like he did to come from a place where you feel stuck, mm -hmm. where you feel almost like the victim or uh, to feel like your life is forever changed and not in a good way. Or the, the other choice is to say that this is just another opportunity. This is just another way for me to grow and to feel more loved. And can I see this from a higher perspective? And can I experience this from a deeper perspective? place of knowing. And, um, that was the choice. Yeah. And so it was no coincidence. It's, it's so fantastic. I think you have a line where you say you stop being a hostage of circumstance and a host for miracles. And I can mm -hmm. tell you that's the release that happened for me. It was immediate. It was a kind of like lifting of my spirit and my potential when I finally made that realization that that was the missing part of my healing journey. So we're almost yeah. out of time because I could go over every aspect of the knowing with you, but returning to love, especially love is the chapter, I think that you uh, talk about it, where you give people sort of a, a template for when you your reception is low, when you're feeling stuck and bitter and victimized, how do we return to this place of love, of kindness and receptivity? Could you talk about that a bit? Yeah, well, I think that the simplest way to go back to that place is to understand that that is your true nature. And that is always present within you. It's always present within all of us. I know that there are people that we think do not have that in them, but even they do. Whoever you're thinking of right now, they have it too. The more you pay attention to that, the more you come from that place and the more you listen to it, the stronger your connection to it becomes. So for example, our mom, she had five children, the youngest five of us in eight years. If there was ever a person who had an excuse to not meditate, to not take the time for herself and take the time for connecting to that part of her that is God. She had that excuse and she never allowed herself to miss it. Wow. Um, because for her, 
that place of going within, getting quiet mm. and allowing is the only way to hear God's voice mm -hmm. is to hear God's message. You, you know, some people say it's like your intuition and it is. And my dad used to say that if prayer is you talking to God, meditation is God talking to you. And I don't say God, like in a religious sense, you could substitute with the word love universe, whatever you want to call it, divine mind. It doesn't really matter. At least to me, it doesn't matter, but there is a part of you that is that. And there is a part of you that has the connection to all of the answers and the solutions and the abundance and the love that you're mm -hmm. seeking, but you have to find it within. You have to come from that place in order to manifest all of the different things that you are wanting in your life. Like attracts like. You don't get what you want. You get what you are. It's like um, one of the things that I used to hear my dad say all the time when talking about generosity was that if you are not generous when you are poor, you would not be generous when you are rich mm -hmm. and vice versa, because generosity has nothing to do with your circumstances, but everything to do with your nature. Yeah. The sage is kind to the kind and kind to the unkind because kindness is their nature. Whatever you are seeking, you have to first become it. And the way to do that is to get in touch with that inner knowing that place. I think that the more you do it, that's what I was going to say about my mom. The more you practice that, the louder it becomes yeah. and the easier it becomes. And I'm a Gemini and I have Same. like a monkey. Yeah, <laughs> of course. That Anybody might. that talks for a living is a Gemini. <laughs> but that's what I was going to say is that I have a tendency to overthink and overtalk. I especially need to get quiet and to allow, allow the place where I can connect to that part of me that is all knowing and powerful and based in love. And we can all do that, but it's a choice. You certainly didn't over talk in this interview. And I, I hope <laughs> from time to time we can come back and at least get a, at least five more of the principles of the knowing. It's a fantastic book for anyone who is a fan of Wayne Dyer's work and anyone who wants to get back to this mind state that Serena so beautifully describes when you are in crisis or you are in turmoil or, or you are in the, what you consider to be the worst part of your life, you can come back to joy, to the present moment and to this ability that we all have to return to love. It has been so wonderful to speak with you and I wish you the very best of success with this Thank beautiful you. book, The Knowing. We are, of course, on every podcast platform and we love your feedback and your questions. You can go to our website at Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton and any other feedback that you'd like on this podcast, please send it on. Thumbs up anywhere you listen and also just please make it a great day. Bye. Bye.